Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We're looking at the Sermon on the Mount. We're getting insight into Jesus and how we're to conduct ourselves in the kingdom. Life in the kingdom. The attitudes that we're to have. And as that quote has said, it's, it's the best known teaching of Jesus, but sometimes the most difficult to understand and probably the hardest to obey. As we'll see today, he puts some pretty high standards in there. We're trying to help people find and follow Christ who makes all things new. And so in the Sermon on the Mount, we're seeing a text where God has laid out a vision for how kingdom life should be lived out in the here and the now. One of the verses last week when it was talking about being the light of the world says you are a city on a hill. And I really didn't unpack that a little bit. And as I was thinking back over this week. Are we a city on a hill? Is our church a city on the hill? Is my life a city on a hill that cannot be hid? It's possible Jesus, when he was talking about this, was thinking about the six cities of refuge provided in Israel. All of these six cities were, were cities on a hill that would, they would be lit and you'd see them even at night that they, people could go there. If, if someone killed someone unintentionally, um, if there was, then they could flee to the city of refuge. In the darkness of our day and age, may our watchfires be burning so brightly so those seeking refuge can find their way to the Savior, can find their way to eternal life. As with so much in the Old Testament, these cities of refuge even can be considered a type of Christ. Available to all. The gates were always open. They were widely advertised. In Hebrews chapter 6 it says, We who have fled for refuge, we who have fled for refuge, to lay hold of the hope set before us, the hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. I want my life to shine, don't you? I want my life to be that city on the hill that points to Christ, that says if you're looking for refuge, you can find it in Jesus. You can find it in Him who is our hope. So we come to this passage this morning. We'll be looking first at verse 17, Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. We look at chapter chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus says, do not think I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men, so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is establishing, I hesitate to say a new religion because Christianity is all about a relationship, but he's messing with the system of the day. He's shaking things up. Probably many people were misinterpreting things and some even could heard could have heard the teaching of Jesus and and they might have been saying well this is an easier way to heaven so much of their worship was outward they had a form of godliness and Jesus is now saying things like you must worship in spirit and in truth 
He's clarifying some things. He said, I didn't come to destroy the law. The law is good. Paul says that. He said, if I wouldn't have, if it wouldn't have been for the law, I wouldn't have even, I wouldn't have known that I needed a savior. I wouldn't have known that I had broken the law of God. Say, Pastor, what's the law? Well, he, God begins laying that out in the first five books of the Bible. What we know is the Pentateuch. He lays out a moral law. That's seen primarily in the Ten Commandments. And then, and then even throughout those books, He lays out the ritual and ceremonial law. Sin is, is breaking the law of God. And so He clearly lays out what is a, what is a transgression. But then He, He doesn't lay that out without giving a remedy. <laughs> he lays out the remedy that that takes and atones for the sins of our lives and of the world. He says, I didn't come to destroy that. I didn't come to destroy the prophets. The prophets play a really vital role. They, they're not adding to the law. They're just, they're just clarifying it. They're just, they're giving warnings to the people. I didn't come to destroy that. I really want you, I really want you to be convinced in your heart and mind because there are voices out there today that say the Old Testament is irrelevant. I don't believe that. <laughs> this church doesn't believe that. We don't, we don't preach that. That's not true. In fact, everything in the Old Testament points to the New Testament. It points to Christ. Just as I told you about those cities of refuge. Even something like that is, is pointing to Christ. In the Old Testament, that remedy for sin was the sacrificial system. I'm glad you didn't have to go to the farm today to get a lamb to bring it to church this morning. Because when John saw Jesus... He said, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And we don't talk just about Jesus dying on the cross. That was important. But even more important than that was the shedding of His blood. Because Hebrew tells us without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sins. So, everything we know in the law, and then, the, and then in the New Testament, in the Gospels, and, and in the epistles. The law and the Gospel are not competing. The law is not superseded by the Gospel. They perfectly agree with each other. Let me just, as I was studying this morning, I was reading on John Wesley, and he says there's no contrariety at all between the law and the Gospel. That there is no need for the law to pass away in order to establish the gospel. Instead, neither of them supersedes the other, but they agree perfectly well together. They're the very same words considered in different respects are both parts of the law and of the gospel. If they're considered as commandments, they're parts of the law. If as promises of the gospel. So he, he unpacks it this way, he says. Thus, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. When considered as a commandment, it's a branch of the law. When regarded as a promise, it's an essential part of the gospel. The gospel being no other than the commands of the law proposed by way of promises. 
And then he went on to say, just as we've been reading here in Matthew chapter 5, poverty of spirit, purity of heart, whatever else is enjoined in the holy law of God, they are none other than viewed in gospel light so many of the great and glorious promises of God. Jesus is saying, I came to fulfill it. I came to show you its true meaning and to enable people to obey it. And he said, it's not going away till heaven and earth pass away. Till the end of time, one jot or one tittle. What is that, Pastor? I never heard those terms in my life. Except when you said them or I read them in my Bible. A jot represents the smallest letter to the Hebrew alphabet. A tittle stands for the smallest mark of the Hebrew language, which distinguishes one Hebrew word from another. It's like the difference in an O and a Q. That's a pretty big difference, but what makes the difference? Just that little mark. And he said, not, a, not one little mark is going away. This is important in your life. I'm not destroyed. I'm not taking it away. I'm here to fulfill it. Verse 19, he gives a heavy responsibility on breaking the law and teaching others to do the same. I remember very clearly in my own life, I didn't answer the call to preach till much later in, in um, second career, if you will. But I remember God was, was planting seeds way back. I remember traveling with my pastor. We were in a Christian school, and I was driving with him to Pensacola to pick up books at the beginning of the school year. We were driving a Dodge Diplomat car. I remember it distinctly. We were somewhere in southern Mississippi. And I asked him, how do, we, how do you know when you're called to preach? And he began unpacking in his life and giving testimonies of some that really wanted to do something great for God, but they maybe misinterpreted that as a call to preach. And he said, Dale, don't ever do it unless you're convinced that that's, you cannot do anything else because your chances of getting into heaven are greatly reduced when you stand before others because you begin teaching others. So you got to be very clear. As you lead others, as you, and it, he just was trying to take, don't take this slightly. This is serious stuff. But not only when you follow the Lord yourself, but as you help other people follow the Lord. So Jesus pulls out that, that seriousness right here. And he says, our, our righteousness is to, is not only to, to be like the, it's to exceed the scribes and the Pharisees. He says, you got this right. One part of this you got right is, it's the law. I've not come to destroy the law of the prophets. You're, you're looking in the right place. You're looking to the scriptures, but you got the wrong model. <laughs> you're looking to the wrong people because there's something wrong in the heart of the scribes and the Pharisees. They're doing it so that they can be seen of men, that they can get men's applause. Jesus is going to begin to unpack some stuff that go a little deeper than what's seen on the outside. Keeping the law on the outside. He's going to get into matters of the heart very shortly. We're going to look at one of them today. And he's going to say, there's an audience of one. It's, it's what's going on in the heart that really matters. The one thing you need to do is be approved of God. See, in my kingdom, we're going deeper than the outside. He gives six statements through the rest of chapter 5. 
He talks about murder. He talks about adultery, divorce, oaths, vengeance, and love. And he says stuff like, you've heard, but I say to you. In that last one, he says, you've heard that you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you. And then part of that hate, it was never in, in back in the law to say hate your enemy. There was, there was proper vengeance and, and somebody in the oral tradition had taken it to another level and had, had sanctioned hating your enemy. And so Jesus is saying, no, 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 this is how it's going to be. So he's clarifying some things. And we can't look at all of them this morning, but we're going to look at one. Jesus is talking about murder and fractured relationships and how they're connected. So look in your Bibles this morning at Matthew chapter 5 verse 21. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Oh, Holy Spirit, help us right now, huh? Whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council, but whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave there your gift before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge. The judge hand you over to the officer and and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. Murder starts in the heart. We've had, oh, about 20 Anywhere from 10 to 20 murders in the city of Lafayette the last couple of years. The city of Chicago, there's 1,400 plus murders. I think it was July, was a, June or July was when I saw the last, the stats of it. In the city of Chicago in 2018. That's tragic. The taking of another person's life. That's clearly identified in the law. Thou shalt not kill. Are you with me? That's We can pretty well agree on that this morning, can't we? Jesus said, you've heard it said. Again, it's not a criticism of the, of the Old Testament. He said, you've understood it this way. See, apparently in their life that if you didn't actually do the deed, if, if you didn't actually kill someone, then you were okay. Be as angry as you want to be. Just don't kill them. But Jesus is setting that straight. He said, no, 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 no. It goes deeper than that. Murder starts in the heart just as every sin does. And that's the next one he talks about. He says, you've heard, don't, you've, don't commit adultery. But I say to you, if you even look on a woman to lust in the heart, you've committed. You see where he's, he's elevating it. He's taking it to a whole nother level. point here is the murder is not necessarily the physical action that brings the judgment, but the underlying attitude and desire. Jesus is saying, if you look at a person and your heart causes to look with insult or malice towards them. That's what those words, you fool or, or you idiot, you moron. And, and friends, I got to just tell you, we, we really need to be careful in our language that we use. 
We may not mean anything by it, but I, I believe the Lord would be pleased for us not to be loose with those terms. Just because someone doesn't agree with you or me doesn't mean that they are a moron or an idiot or a fool. You with me? If you have that towards someone, you're really no better than a murderer is what Jesus is saying. Clarence Darrow, most famous criminal lawyer of his generation, said, I've not killed anyone, but I frequently get satisfaction out of reading the obituary notices. If that's us, then we got a problem. If that's the attitude of our heart, if that's happening, we need to ask God to take it away from us. You see, and having malice or envy or evil intention towards someone is, is just wrong. And Jesus says that when we do, we're as bad as the person who physically takes the life of another person. It's hard for me and you to not take that lightly, isn't it? That, that Jesus, you can't equate the same thing, but Jesus is dealing with the place where the, where the problem starts. He's the surgeon that's getting to where it really matters. What do you do if you have that kind of anger towards someone and the thoughts Jesus described? Say, Pastor, what do I do with that? Number one, ask God for forgiveness. First, you've got to go ask God forgiveness. And then you move on to what I want us to look at in the time, rest of our time today is, is you've got to put yourself towards reconciliation. We're going to talk today about the art of reconciliation. Jesus says that an angry and murderous attitude towards someone is bad. Therefore, do something to repair that relationship before it gets to that point. He, he doesn't even want you to come to church and give your offering until you've taken care of it. Boy, it's really... Ooh, it's getting quiet in here now. It's okay. You see, sometimes you might... I shouldn't say you. I'm going to say other churches, Okay. <laughs> We can be really frustrated with maybe the preacher or with a worship team or something that was done. When all of a heart, all the time, it's really something kind of stirring down in our heart. You, I'll preach better if you'll be reconciled to your brother. <laughs> I'll preach better if you'll be reconciled to your sister. You see where I'm doing with this? He's saying... And this is where they were bringing their offerings from miles away. It might be two or three days journey to bring an offering. And you get up right to give your offering. And then you remember that your brother or your sister has something. Wait, you got to turn around and go two or three days back? Probably so. If you have something against somebody, Jesus is saying, we got to take care of this. Thank you, Mary. Somebody else have me say amen. I got to get my... I got to get my cards out here. Maybe y'all just thinking about it, huh? If the Holy Spirit moves and you just need to do this one, just do that one. All right, put two hands up. I'll know the Holy Spirit's convicting your heart as He has convicted mine this week. Okay, I'm doing this. I got four fingers pointing back at me. Jesus seems to think it's to our benefit if we get things right between us. And someone, if we have a conflict, I told you Hebrews twelve fourteen last week, pursue 
peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. It's difficult, if not impossible, for this to be good if this is not well. Pursue peace with all men and holiness. Reconciliation is one of the great themes of the Bible. God reconciled us to himself through Jesus. And we are to be reconciled to others because of our love for Christ. So if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, it's important that you model the forgiveness and reconciliation that he's offered us. How do we do that? I'm going to quickly give you five principles of reconciliation. You ready? Five principles principles of reconciliation. Number one. Take the initiative. This is very important. It's always your turn to heal a relationship. It's always my turn to heal a relationship. If you know someone has something against you, do something about it. Jesus says in verse 24, we're to forget about our worship if we know someone has something against us. In the movie called Straight Story, it's an actual event, a 73-year-old man named Alvin Straight decided it was time to end the silence and break down the wall of anger between him and his brother that had been up for 10 long years. Because he was too impaired to drive a car, he decided to drive his lawnmower 300 miles from Iowa to Wisconsin. 300 miles on a lawnmower to make things right with his brother. It took him six weeks to get to his brother. But he did and they made things right. The question is, how far will you go to make peace with someone? Blessed are the peacemakers. You remember that from two weeks ago? This is all flowing together. You see, this is hard to take the initiative because it means we have to swallow our pride. Oh, it means we may have to admit ourselves and to the other person that we blew it. Jesus says we aren't to wait, we're to get it done. If you wait for the other person to make the first move, guess what? It may not happen. If you come to the altar and remember that your brother or your sister has ought against you. You're not even the one that's done the offending that you know of. Take the initiative. Number two, ask for clarification of the issue. This is just common sense, isn't it? Make sure you're on the same page of what you're at odds about. You ever seen that? People, they're mad at people, somebody be mad at each other. They don't even know why they're mad at each other. You might find out there's nothing. You're worried about something that didn't exist. At least you'll know if you'll ask. You might find out that you thought the other person was upset about not the issue at all. Something entirely different. And some people, I I think I've offended by not talking to them here at church before or something. That wasn't the problem at all. I just had too much on my mind. I was worried about something. Have you ever been like that? You just, you may be in the depths of despair and, and, and somebody, you didn't talk to them and they feel like you've offended them. And that wasn't the issue with them at all. It's just because you just were so focused on something else going on in your life. 
just that happen to you? Maybe y'all looking at me a little weird this morning. Does this not happen to y'all? You might find out you simply misunderstood. No fault in particular. This asking for clarification gives us the opportunity to clear it up. You might have been right. (laughs) Biblically, you might have been right. But it might have been in the wrong tone or the wrong attitude. You with me? In any case... Approach the person. Go with the idea of finding out just what it is that's come between you and get clarification. Number three, ask for forgiveness. As hard as it is to admit we might be at fault about something, it's even harder to ask for forgiveness at times. Friends, we can't just assume someone's forgiven us. We need to ask for it. We need to say the words, will you forgive me? I need your forgiveness. Some of you have been praying for my brother-in-law, Glenn. He's been incarcerated and, and he had gone the, the prodigal life. He, had, he wasted all of his, his, his living, his family, his income. He had nothing. He had an encounter with Christ last year. And God's been working on him all year. And how beautiful it was this week as we got a letter. And it started out to his two kids and to his ex-wife. And he's asking the family to forgive him. We've been waiting on some things to shift. And now that he has asked for forgiveness, we're going to believe. I believe some things will begin to shift. But you've got to ask for forgiveness. It's not just the words that are important. It's the fact that you're willing to verbalize the need for that person's forgiveness. Is it easy? No, it's usually not. Jesus didn't say it would be easy. He said we need to do it. So just ask for forgiveness. Number four, resolve to not repeat the offense. Don't just hope to get the slate wiped clean so you can dirty it up again. That's not the Christ-like mindset at all. If that's the case, maybe we haven't truly repented in the first place. Now that you recognize what you've done, you need to change your behavior and attitudes about that offensive thing. Sometimes people say this, well, that's just the way I am. Mm. That's not good enough. God gives us a particular temperament, but He never gives us an excuse to hurt others with our personality. If you really believe in the life-changing power of God, then you will allow Him to do His work in you so that you and I will be more conformed to His image. Did you hear that passage in, in Romans that I read? That we, that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds and be conformed to His image. Rather than hanging on to something you know has hurt someone, Jesus expects repentance. Allow Christ to do His work in you so that you'll not be likely to repeat that offense and do it all over again. Number five, if you're the offendee, forgive. Newsflash. Reconciliation's not a one-way street. 
It takes both of you to bring full healing to a relationship. When someone comes to you seeking forgiveness, then give it. Is that really hard to understand? Maybe harder to do, but not too hard to understand. They've made the effort on their part. Now it's time for you to offer your forgiveness in a way that they can understand and accept it. Let's just practice that this morning. Repeat after me. Will you forgive me? Good. Now, I forgive you. You notice I didn't say I forgive you. Just don't let it happen again. You see, when we do that, and sometimes that's our actions, even if we don't say that, that implies that forgiveness is not going to be available next time. How many times did Jesus say we're to forgive someone who hurts us? Seventy times seven. You get to 491, you can cut them off, huh? No. If you count how many times you're forgiving someone, then you really haven't forgiven them the first time. You'd better be really glad that the Father doesn't operate that way or all of us would be in a heap of trouble, wouldn't we? In fact, in chapter 6, he says, forgive men their trespasses. That's how he's going to forgive us. If you don't forgive, he's not going to forgive. By the way, don't wait for the other person to take the initiative. Some people have the attitude, well, that dirty, low-down skunk comes crawling to me asking forgiveness. I'll consider it. You won't find that kind of attitude in the Scriptures. We offer forgiveness and we offer it freely. You realize some people don't even know they've offended you. They're totally unaware. Not because they're stupid or anything. They just don't realize that they've hurt you. Well, they should know better. Well, maybe so. Are you going to hold their ignorance against them and withhold forgiveness and damage your own relationship with God? As I told you, there have been times I didn't even realize I hurt someone. I didn't hurt them intentionally. When I found out, I asked for their forgiveness. Sometimes it's not even the person that's offended that tells you. God uses the body of Christ to to relay that message sometimes. People say, well, we're, we're supposed to forgive and forget. That's not always possible. Some people have been hurt in ways that make it impossible for us to just forget it. It's not forgive and forget. It's forgive and choose to not bring it up again. You with me? Look at Proverbs 17.9. He who covers over an offense promotes love, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Ooh, I just done gone to preaching, huh? All I'm trying to do is share the Word of God. But this is right where we live, huh? Sometimes we'd rather repeat the offense than make it right. We'd rather tell others about it. God's saying, let's... Let's let's take care of this. Holding a grudge doesn't do good for anybody. You need to let it go. That may take real time because some of you have been hurt terribly. And that person who's done it, maybe they had no intention of repenting and asking forgiveness. But you can choose not to dwell on it. Quit picking the scab. Rub the ointment of intentional forgiveness into the wound and let God heal it. 
There will probably be a scar there. But it won't get infected with bitterness and rage. Friends, I'm telling you with all the love and concern in my heart, God is concerned about our relationships here on earth. We are built for relationship. We're built for relationship with God. We're built for relationship with each other. He made us to need other people. And I want you this morning to think about your relationships and see if there's someone you need to reconcile with for the sake of the relationship between you and them and between you and God. The burden of broken relationship is huge. But the relief of reconciliation is even greater when reconciliation happens. God smiles. I love it when my kids get along. I think Father loves it when his kids get along. President Bush was governor of Texas. He had to deal with a lot of conflict. He came into office with a legislature that was in the opposite party. Early in his term, he met with the opposition leader of the legislative branch. He was hopeful to build a cooperative coalition for the future. The meeting was a failure. There was no trust or no agreement. There was plenty of conflict. At the end of the session, as Governor Bush got up to leave, he suddenly reached over and grabbed the opposition boss with both hands on his, with both hands on his neck and he gave him a big kiss on the cheek. The man was completely stunned. He got red-faced, as I think I would do, and stammered, What did you do that for? Bush said, If I can't get your cooperation and help, I'm at least going to get a kiss. Opposition leader did just what you did. He laughed. You know what? That broke the ice. That was the end of the conflict and the beginning of a friendship. Political opponents, but there was beginning of a friendship. Fractured relations hurt everyone involved. And they can even, listen to me carefully, they can even hurt those outside of the two parties involved. Hebrews, I just told you, pursue peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. You go on to the next verse, verse 15, and it talks about, let no root of bitterness spring up within you, whereby many be defiled. Your bitterness and lack of asking for forgiveness will affect more than just you. Fractured relationships harm your relationship with God. Is your pride worth it? I don't think so. Neither does God. Work it out. God has a wonderful way of healing old wounds. God has a one. I want you to hear the good news. God has a wonderful way of healing old wounds. And bringing people in closer relationship than they've ever been before. That's the power of God in your life, in my life. Sure, it may hurt. But the healing power of God, as I say, I'm sorry. Whether I've, I've done the offending or not. But I say, I want to make it right. Is there a fractured relationship? I asked the question this morning, just like that brother that drove 300 miles on a lawnmower. How far are you willing to go to mend a fractured relationship? He has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. He is our peace who has broken down every wall.
I believe he wants to bring down some walls today. What would God have you and me to do? What changes would the Lord want to make in my life? In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. But I want to give you these five questions just to to let the Holy Spirit. We talk about our outreach temperature. Zero being the lowest. Ten being the highest. Maybe give yourself a grade on these. I forgive others when their actions harm me. Where, what number would you give yourself on that? I admit my wrongs in relationships and humbly seek forgiveness. I seek to be in harmony with other members of my family. I place the interest of others above my self-interest. I am gentle and kind in my interactions with others. If it got some low scores, that's the Holy Spirit saying, son, daughter. And look, I should have said this earlier. Message like this, sometimes we're tempted. Boy, I hope, I wish he would have been here to hear this. I wish you'd heard that. We're probably taping this this morning. You can go back and listen. You can have somebody else listen to it. But it's me, oh God, standing in the need of prayer. Don't look at your neighbor and say, I hope she's got this. This is the Holy Spirit talking to my heart and talking to your heart and wanting to do spiritual inventory. Nobody here today is wanting to go out and murder anybody. I don't believe that. But we might do a little bit of killing in our hearts. In our attitudes, in just the malice and the unforgiveness that builds up within us. I want you to stand with me this morning. I know this is not a message that makes you to run the aisles, but if you want to do business with God this morning, I'd love to pray with you. It may be that you don't need to come to this altar. You may need to leave here and you may need to drive to someone's house. You may need to pick up the phone and call. But if the Spirit of God is working in your life, I want to pray with you today. You say, Pastor, God's speaking to my heart and I don't want that. I don't want that that attitude in my heart. Would you just have the courage to step out this morning? Let's just pray or go to someone. Maybe it's maybe it's even in the sanctuary this morning. There'd be nothing that would please Father more. And if there is something between someone else, it'd be okay. Leave there your gift before the altar and go and be reconciled. As the music is played, if you'd like to pray, just come this morning and we'll pray pray together and we'll we'll covenant before God to heal our hearts and give us the courage to ask for forgiveness. God's here. God's here. God's here. I've just got to go on record. I need God to help me. 
I've been putting off making that phone call. I've been putting off getting together with that individual. There's healing this morning. There's good news this morning. There's good news. Jesus is saying, Son, daughter, I want to help you. I want to heal you. Give it to me this morning. Give it to me this morning. You can have it all, God. You can have it all. I'm asking if you're standing just to close your eyes. If you say, Pastor, I, I didn't step out, but God is seriously dealing with me, and I just want to let you know to keep praying for me. I want to do the right thing. I want to make it right. Would you just lift a hand up? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. You may place your hands down. Lord Jesus. Your spirit has been here today. The truth of the word of God is speaking to our hearts, God. Lord, you're changing us this morning. You're transforming us by the power of your spirit, God. And Lord, we we thank you for your forgiveness, God. You went to the cross. You died for our sins. You shed your blood. None of us have shed our blood today for the salvation of others, God. And so you've paid the ultimate sacrifice. You have laid down your life for your friends. You call us your sons and daughters. You call us your friends. And God, we believe in you right now. God, to heal our hearts as we ask for forgiveness. God, as we ask, Lord, to be reconciled to you and with each other. God, I'm believing you. That which the enemy meant to kill, steal, and destroy. You have come to give us life and that to the full. That abundant life. So where the enemy has taken relationships and he stole joy. God, you're giving back the joy. You're giving back the glory. You're giving back the presence. You're giving back the fullness, God. And I believe you who are able to do super abundantly more than we can dare dream, ask, or imagine, God. As Job lost it all, God, and you you replenished it many times over, God. We're believing you today, God, to replenish the joy, to replenish the relationships, God. And let us be, Lord, just in, in harmony with each other and harmony with you. God. Oh, help us to pursue peace with all men and holiness, God. Make us holy as you, oh God, are holy today. God, I pray for courage. God, some around the altar, some with hands lifted today. Lord, you've asked us to do something. And so, God, I'm praying godly courage over our lives that we will leave this place determined, O God, to be reconciled. Whether they receive it or not, we're going to follow You. We're going to obey You, God. Lord, we're trusting and believing You. There'll be testimonies this week. There'll be rejoicing next week because of obedient hearts of what You have said to us that we will do. Hear our prayer this morning, O God. It means driving 300 miles on a lawnmower. Help us to drive 300 miles on a lawnmower. Help us to go to whatever it takes to be reconciled. 
Your coming is soon, God. We don't have much time. We've got to quit wasting time. So, Lord, help us to be reconciled to you and reconciled with each other. In the strong and mighty name of Jesus, I pray. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Go in His peace. Shake hands with your neighbor. Have a wonderful week.